Hi, this is Alex Holmbrecht, and welcome to The Farcast. I'm joined here this morning with my co-host, Daniel Binkard, and our guest of the day, Dr. Tara Wilson, who's an Associate Professor of Counseling. So thanks for joining us, Tara. Really appreciate having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is quite an honor to be here. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you bet. So, Tara, how long have you been here at CSC, and, and what are the classes that you currently teach? Yeah, well, um, so I've been teaching full-time at Shatter, and I'm going into my sixth year. Um, but before that, I was I went for here for my master's degree, so I suppose been there for an extra two years. But if you count just teaching, you know, full time, six years now. And what are and what are the courses that you're, that oh, you're right. teaching? So so classes I'm teaching right now. Um, I'm teaching internship, a couple of sections of that. And so what internship is is in the counseling program. At the very end of our students' programs, they start working with clients, um, and that's what I get to do as, as far as internship goes. I get to supervise them, meet with them weekly as they're working with clients for the first time, um, really all across the state of Nebraska, which is pretty exciting to see all the different places that they're working. Uh, and I'm also teaching family counseling as well, so that's one of my favorite classes to teach, and I tell the students that. They, they definitely know I like that class. And, and why is that? Um, you know, my dissertation was about family counseling, and... You know, actually, it started in my undergraduate degree. Um, I had a family communication class, and it was just fascinating the way that families talk, the way that some families mesh, some families don't. I, just the way families interact, I suppose, mm-hmm. looking across them. So it's uh, it's really neat to see that in family counseling. So, And part of family counseling is um, it's looking at yourself and your own family and being able to apply the concepts that you're learning about in the class to your own family. And so I get to learn a lot about my students um, but then I get to help them think about those different concepts from different family theorists and apply those to their life as well, too. So they do really take their knowledge of their family to a professional level. Um, and, of course, that's what they take on to their clients as well, too. So, so this is a graduate-level class? It is, yeah. Um, so when you say, and maybe I'm making the wrong assumption, but when you say talking about your own family dynamics or your family communication or whatever, are, are, are you is the implication that this, the students – are talking about like their parents and their siblings if they have them or about their own families because if they're graduate students some of them may have children. Yeah, so so you have your family of origin and so that would be your parents. Um, and then of course they have their so we'll we'll create a genogram in the class and the genogram goes back at least three generations. So at least to the grandparent level if not beyond that if they can. Um, but yeah, so we talk about the family of origin which would be the the initial family that you were born that you were born and raised in, and of course, families get interesting. Um, it's not always mom, dad, kids. It sure. can be a lot of different variations there, of course. And then you have your nuclear family, and so that would be the family that um, you're with. You know who lives in the house currently, or who you're most connected with. So if you have kids, if you're married, you know then they take on that nuclear family role, and then you start another family of origin if you have kids. Sure. And so okay. So it's fascinating to see. And if we create a genogram, which essentially is like a, a tree of the family, and we talk about different, um, different relationship dynamics and how, let's say, grandma and grandpa had a relationship dynamic that maybe is passed down to the next generation and then so on and so forth. Or there's a, you know, a relationship dynamic that kind of stopped at one point in the family, and, and we kind of talk about how those different changes were made in the family. So. That sounds pretty neat. I, I've just got one last question on this uh, and maybe a bit of an observation. I, I always feel like our counseling program is is unique because there is a lot of, granted, every program here has a lot of faculty to student interaction, but it seems like almost in the counseling program, uh, there's 
there's that teacher and, and pupil relationship, but there, it's almost like a partnership because you're you're talking a lot like social work. You're talking to these students all the time. Not to imply that that faculty don't talk to students. I know that's not the case, but uh, you, you're working very closely with with these students. Yeah, absolutely. And for it being an online program, we're still we're still meeting all the time. Or the assignments, um, they they do have a more personal note. Uh, I think that's because counseling is very relationship based. Mm-hmm. So. If I were to go to a counselor and if I didn't connect with them or didn't like them, I'm not going to go again. Um, or if I'm going to go to a counselor and if, if work is going to be done, I'm going to have to share some of my deep, dark secrets. And so that same kind of relationship dynamic, you know, we, we start building the importance of building relationships in the counseling program. And all of our students in the counseling program are grad students, at least at the clinical mental health and the school counseling level. So, um, so it's more, they come in with so much knowledge as it is. Mm-hmm. They have... A lot of times I'm learning from the students. They're, they're doing some really great things at schools across or schools across the state or at agencies across the state. And so um, really taking on that, that teacher-learner role of our students are not, I mean, they're coming in with knowledge. So it's not just a knowledge, and a, a knowledge dump, I suppose, on our students. It's really a partnership. So Awesome. Yeah. So considering that it is such a, a person-to-person, a traditionally face-to-face kind of environment, how do you deal with it when it's primarily online working with the students? Like what are some of the challenges? Um, how do you overcome those? Yeah. Well, okay, so it's not technically a challenge. A huge benefit was when the pandemic hit, pandemic hit uh, yeah. we were already online, right. which is great because so it's so fascinating. Pre-pandemic, all of our students – the majority of our students were doing face-to-face work. And if every now and then they got some telehealth or some online kind of uh, counseling, those are things we really highlighted on and, oh, tell the rest of the students so we can all learn from from these experiences. But when the pandemic hit, it was such a natural flow because everything was online. Yeah. And so so currently I've got students who um, they've, they haven't actually seen a client in person. It's been all over telehealth. And as a profession, we've really had to grow. We've done telehealth now, of course, in our profession for a while, but it wasn't so intensified. I mean, the, the pandemic obviously intensified it. So. Sure. So it's been really nice. So the same platform that we use um, in our counseling program online that we meet for supervision, we're talking about confidential information. So we have to have it um, as confidential as possible. We have to take all those different precautions. That's actually a lot of times the same platform our students are uni- using as well, too. Okay. And so it's been a huge benefit especially right in the current moment with the pandemic and our students still aren't all going back face to face. It's yeah, a lot of times yeah. it's a hybrid. Some are face to face and some are only only online as well too. So um, I suppose challenges are, uh, I mean, we don't, we, we meet with our students right away over Zoom. We always do an interview. Every single student has to do go through an interview with a, with a counseling faculty. Um, and so we build that initial connection. But after that, there's a lot of emails or mm-hmm. um, some of our content courses are, are purely online. Most of our courses, a lot of our courses have some sort of a synchronous component to them. So when they see us, um, so I mean, I suppose I'm trying to think of a challenge, but there's just so many benefits to that because oh, our students so, yeah. are, they're all over. We've, we've got students that would never have been able to access counseling had we not been online. So we have students in Montana on ranches, um, down on the sand hills on ranches. And it's just fascinating to see. So, you know, our students, I've got a student down um, down in the Sand Hills. And so she could join in in a meeting with folks from Omaha and, um, and then in the afternoon see clients that are scattered throughout Nebraska. And then in, in the afternoon join us for group supervision, all from the comfort of her home. But she's been having yeah, some works. amazing experiences. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I think I'd, I think probably the biggest challenge of having an online program maybe is uh, those nonverbal communication messages we send. Sure. Uh, and so a lot, so we have to record in the counseling program, we have to record mock sessions and whatnot. Um, but most of the time it's from the, the face up. And so, so we're not able to see like if our knees are crossed and it's more closed communication, those of that nature, those are things that the students will just have to report on. Okay. Um, so that might be the biggest challenge, but it's really minimal considering what we do. I think maybe a couple of years ago there, I would have thought there was more challenges to it, but with a pandemic, it's, uh, and with, with grad students, a lot of them are, are out there working full time and they just can't get to, to Shadron or the weather yeah. doesn't allow them to get to Shadron. And so, yeah, not only do our students meet over, you know, t- over a synchronous online platform, um, we see everything. We know what's going on in Omaha. We know what's going on in Alaska. We had some students from Alaska. It's been just fascinating to see what's happening across the country. Yeah, I imagine yeah. so. You know, kind of get that small world. All that. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Tara, talk a little bit about your educational background. So education, how far back? <laughs> well, where, do you where, want to start where did you start kindergarten? No, no, that, that's where, an easy question. Where'd you, where'd you go to? Where'd you go to college? Because we'll probably talk to you a little bit about kind of pre-college stuff later. But you know, where'd you go to college and, and do your your post uh, bachelor stuff? Yeah, so I went to so when I so I'm actually from the area, but I chose to go to University of Nebraska Lincoln. Um, for the very important reason of wanting to have season tickets to see the Huskers. So that was my <laughs> final deciding factor. I, you're probably not the only student who's ever done that. Yeah, that was it. And and I made use of those tickets. Yeah, we went to I, – I only missed the Thanksgiving games because <laughs> I was back here watching them. Uh, yeah, so I went to UNL for a degree in communication. Uh, and so I have that degree in communication. And then – so then I ended up back here at Shattern and in the clinical mental health field. Um mostly because I wanted to be closer to family, which I never, when I was a, a teenager, I said, I will never come back to this area. Absolutely not. And I learned a lesson right away that never say never, because that's the exact same thing that's going to happen. Um, so not only did I come back for a master's degree, here I am now living here and probably going to retire here. So, <laughs> so, so then I came back here for a clinical mental health degree. Um, back then it was called community counseling. And then I worked as a school counselor, and I also did clinical mental health counseling as well, too, and then I went to the University of Wyoming. Um, so not only did I want to leave the small town growing up, I then went to most likely the only college in the nation that is just a grown-up small town, which is Laramie. There's a Walmart. There's Denver is a little bit closer, but it's the most rural, isolated state. So for me, wanting to live big city, downtown Chicago, Denver, New York, yeah, I chose Laramie I for have, my PhD. <laughs> I have some friends who, who went to college there, um, and they always call it Laradice. They, yep. they, not Laramie, it's Laradice. Yeah. Well, it's got to be because in the wintertime, a perfect place to do a PhD because you can't leave. So, I mean, you're going to have a blizzard and you can't, you literally can't leave. So, yeah, if you're going to write a dissertation, you might as well be stuck in the place here. So, so your, your, your doctorate program was not online. It was no, face-to-face. No, face-to-face. Yeah. Okay. Yep, it was face-to-face. Very good. Yeah, which is... Well, tell us a little bit about before then. Um, let's see. Yeah, so you grew up in, in the Shadron area. Um, did you always know that you wanted to work in counseling? Where did that come from? Yeah, well, no, absolutely not. I did not know I wanted to work in counseling. At least I don't think so. So, uh, of course, I knew these questions were coming, so I had to think about it because I've had this question before, and before I've answered it, I just wrote it off. I thought, no, it just happenstance because I always thought the reason I wanted to go into counseling, well, I not really wanted to go, Um 
but I came back to Shadron for my master's degree because when I was at um, Lincoln, during my last couple years at Lincoln, my niece got cancer. Um, it was great that I was in Lincoln because it was up in Minneapolis, so I was able to make that trip yeah. quite, a back, quite a bit. And so that's where that whole thought of I really don't want to be away from family. I want to be around my family as much as possible. She's doing phenomenal now. Um, how old is she, 12, 13, 14? I don't know. She's, no, she's... She's a freshman in high school. Yeah, freshman already. So Moving she's right been in along. remission yeah. for quite a bit. Yeah. Um, no, it's actually kind of fun. We just we just put up a playset because back when she was a year and a half old, and so she had a Make-A-Wish playset, which she no longer plays with, and so now my kids do. Um, yeah, so it's kind of coming full circle. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so anyway, that's why I chose Shadron is because it was the closest to um, – closest to family. And it was either go, I applied, I applied to have a GA ship here so I could have my master's degree paid for. And that summer, um, I came back home, worked, worked at the uh, pool as a lifeguard. And that summer I decided not only do I need to get into the counseling program, the clinical mental health degree program here at Shadron, I also need that GA to pay for my school. And if I don't do that, my plan was to go, to go up to Rapid and work for Habitat for Humanity. And so, mm-hmm. so I always thought the reason I'm in this degree is because I looked through the the catalog. And this was the area that I, like, this was the degree that sounded the most fascinating to have nice. a master's degree. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but, but actually, um, as I was thinking about it, I remembered when I was in, I was in high school and, um, I don't know what was going on. I mean, I was the last child. And so definitely rebellion, um, small town. I wanted down of, I wanted down to there. I wanted nothing to do with it. And so I, I went to my mom and I was like, mom, I'm just, something's not right. Like I'm just down in the dumps. Something's not right. And she said, I'll make an appointment. And so I was 16 or 17. She made an appointment for me to talk to uh, a medical doctor. And I remember I told him, I was like, it was weird talking about my, my own like mental health with a medical doctor. And I said, well, I'm just kind of down on the dumps. Things don't feel right. Um, And I remember the assessment. She gave me an assessment to see where I fell on the depression rating scale. And it was for adults. And I remember walking away from that thinking, that was so weird because they asked me about work. Like, how's work? Do you find enjoyment in work? I'm like, I'm 17 years old. Yes, I find enjoyment in work. That's the only way I can get paid. Like, work is great right yeah. now. Talk to me about school. Like, school's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, not not too terrible. It was fine. But anyway, so I remember her bringing the results back to me on this assessment that I just thought that really has nothing to do with how I feel right now because the, the questions just weren't relevant in my um, currently. So, so what she said, she said, well, here's a card for a counselor in town. And, uh, I don't think you, you know, you're kind of on the border, but I really don't feel comfortable giving you any kind of medication yet. Cause I don't think you're at that state where, where that's needed. Go to a counselor. If you need it, come back. I never called. I was like, no, I'm not going to go to the counselor and tell him I <laughs> tell him what's going on. That would be weird. Uh, yeah. So I think what I learned and I think that experience right there, something had a huge shift because I was just looking through a few months ago, I was looking through my, um, uh, yearbook. And in the yearbook, it said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to be a psychologist that owned my private practice. Um, I don't remember where I said I wanted to be working, though. I don't think I said here. And so somehow that shift happened from me going to the medical doctor, filling out an assessment, not going to a counselor, then suddenly wanted to become a psychologist. And so so kind of similar path. Now I'm a counselor. I obviously don't own my private practice. I work here at the college. But um, I think what I realized is that you know, maybe I guess a part of me wants to reach out to those kids that need to go and talk to somebody. But, you know, the first step for me going to a doctor, I think was the hardest step. So to do that all over again and talk to another behavioral health professional. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of fascinating. So 
because what I do, what I, my internship was, was integrated behavioral health care, which means that um, my, I was interning as a counselor, getting that initial training in a medical setting. And what happened is we would get referrals from doctors, but instead of the patient having to call us, we actually are able, like the, the counselors called the patient to schedule that appointment. And so you don't have to make that call twice. You don't have to call yeah. your doctor and then call the person. So had that happened, I might've actually followed through and went to a counselor way back then, but. It's always yeah. funny, those, those little, yeah. little things that happen or don't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Had I, you yeah. So know. it's kind of fascinating too. Cause even before that I thought, no, I'm just, I'm just kind of here as a counselor, but yeah. I think that experience had a, a lot more of an impact on me at the time. I didn't think anything of it, but. Yeah. You never know, I guess. Yeah. So here. There I am. Right. <laughs> so even though, I mean, I guess technically you are an alumna, but uh, because you got your graduate degree here, but didn't do your, your undergrad here, you have deep ties to CSC. Uh, I think you mentioned um, some folks who are listening to this might remember you as a child running through the library. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they probably have some fun stories to tell too. So so my grandmother, I think, and I had to look this up to, to know because I, I don't remember, of course, back then, but I think she started working at CSC a couple years before I was born. Um, and so I remember she worked down in the basement of the library. And so it's funny. I'm sure we always came during the day, but I just remember coming to Shattern at nighttime. I think it's because we went to the basement of the library and there's no windows down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just remember coming and just as a kiddo and she had, she worked in like the children's curriculum. So she only had children's books that were in the area that she worked in. So my mom and her would chat and at least my sister and I. Um, who, uh, she's too close to my age for us to really get along back then. Now we're best friends, but I'm sure we probably chased each other. I'm sure we probably did laps in that basement of the library. You know, oh, how yeah. they have the, sure. there's, it makes really nicely for, for laps. And so <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of, we were probably going crazy. We always picked out books to read, but I'm pretty sure those were read at home. We probably were just kind of more raisin heck around one another. So, and what was your grandmother's name? Barbara Carson. Okay. Barbara Carson. Yeah. So she retired. Oh, I was at Lincoln when she retired. And so in the early 2000s, she retired from here after 31 years of working here. Yeah. My my first beat when I was a cub reporter on the Eagle when I was a student was the library. And so I had to check in every week and the, the director was um, uh, Mr. Brennan. Yeah. I can't remember his first name. Uh, Tom, maybe. Um, and <laughs> I had to write a story about how the, the library got new carpet. That was the, the lead story. <laughs> That's riveting. I'll never forget that. It was my first published yep. story no. in the college paper. New you library remember the those. carpet. Heavy-hitting journalism right yeah. there. Well, there's not – yeah, it's it's funny because, like, the stairway. I remember the, the stairway, and not a lot's changed since I was – Oh, yeah. Since I was a kid with that. I remember just going going down to the dungeon of the basement, um, which is where she was. But uh, it was also kind of – I don't know. I just remember always going down there, unless we were lucky enough – and she unlocked the the basement door. You know how you can drive down to mm-hmm. the library. Sometimes she called and she said, I'll, I'll unlock that door. And so then we would park down there. Like we felt really special because oh, yeah. we got to walk Secret through. Entry. We didn't have to go through, yeah. the, <laughs> through the stairs. Um, yeah. The library is the uh, featured building in the most recent alumni magazine. Uh, and there's a photo. When's that photo from? Maybe the 80s? You know, I always forget the timeline because they had the they had the stairs to the main entrance that were just open. They'd yeah. get covered in ice yeah. every winter. Uh, so... And if it was in the uh, late 80s or sometime in the 80s that they enclosed that. But, it, yeah, it's been enclosed for a number of years now. So when that when that came, uh, my wife, Brittany, saw it, and she was like, that's not the library because it didn't have the, it didn't have the yeah. vestibule. It, it, uh, it does look weird. It really it does. It looks, looks familiar to some people who grew up with it that way. And then for, yeah. for all the, the younger ones of us, it's... 
yeah, it's just something off. We had, the, yeah, I remember when we would visit, Grandma was always going up those stairs. And they were, I mean, in the wintertime, it was always icy. And I mean, those were treacherous stairs. Same <laughs> like, with the climbs the stairs. stairs. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, they, they were kind of intense. And they were steep, too, if I remember right. The, At least they were steep for my little two Yeah, because it's kind of like, the, oh, you got to get up to an upper level almost yeah. the way yeah. it's uh, sloped and, and built. Chances yep. are if stairs were built on campus in the 60s, they are treacherous. <laughs> seems to be the theme. <laughs> oh, man. But as far as roots to CSC, I don't think um, – my dad, he played football here too, which uh, oh, which is so cool. So he played – he always talks about it. He's like, Tara, I didn't play. I warmed the bench, like that bench. <laughs> and I did a mighty fine job of it. Um, but anyway, that's kind of cool too. So I, uh, I don't know. I need to go through like past – CSC like football things and see if I can find his picture or whatnot. Well, we've got just the man for you down in the basement. Con Marshall help you out. You're in the right building. I might have to. Before I head out today, I might have to look him up and see his yeah. picture. So, And you'll, you'll get the whole history too. Everything that you didn't know and that you know. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, set aside about 45 minutes to yeah. an hour. and then, But you'll be good. You'll learn more. Then I'll know. It's all good history. How long did he play? He won't be honest with me. He's like, no, I didn't do anything but warm the bits. I I want to see some game tapes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so um, we'll swing back around to some of the um, the job duties that you have, because in addition to what you do for teaching, um, you're also the co-director of the, we're going to get this right, Behavioral Health Education Center of Nebraska Panhandle, which is a bit of a mouthful, and it's even got a fun acronym for it. But tell us, what is that, and what goes on there? Yeah, so we're going to say Beacon for, for short, Behavioral Beacon. Health Education Center in Nebraska. Um, so it, we just have always called it Beacon. We actually have uh, – um, it was a big push to say, you know, Beacon for short. And then so right. we even have a newsletter that comes out, and it's actually the Beacon, like a, like a lighthouse. The Beacon Beacon. Yeah, the Beacon Beacon. It's, yeah. it's a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. No, it's kind of neat. I like it. <laughs> you know? um, so, so, uh, so Beacon is kind of fun. So, so we are – so Beacon Omaha, of course, was the first and foremost that started – uh, about 11 years ago. And then they had a few years back, Car- Beacon Kearney got started. And then they realized that Beacon Kearney, it was supposed to cover the rural areas. And if like Kearney is still pretty far east, it's not real, uh, you know, oh, yeah. coming from Shadron, it's not, not real rural. We need a panhandle um, branch. And really. so then exactly what they said. They said, well, not only that, we need that rural aspect or maybe frontier, I suppose, if we want to get technical. I think a lot of people say that this is more than just rural or frontier. But we're technically frontier and remote. Then frontier, yeah, what, what was far. that classification from? Uh, the Department of Ag. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with them. So <laughs> it's official. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. We're, we're far. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Beacon. So, so it actually got started back when they had the Safe Haven Act legislature. Okay. Do you remember any of that? Mm-mm. So what that did, and I'm sure there was more to it, but uh, the, the what affected us the most is the legislation. I think it came out of a out of a um, legislation through the Nebraska Unicameral, and they said that any parents or caregivers or guardians, no questions asked, if they're not if they don't believe that they are fit to care for a child, they can drop it off their child off at the hospital. And, uh, and then they'll find, you know, the hospital then be responsible or the state for finding a place for the kiddo. Um, so in theory, you know, I think if you think about it, you have parents, if they're to the point where they want to drop their kiddo off at a hospital, it's pretty tough. Like, you know, parenting is hard. You know, I've got a two and a four year old. It's, it's real hard, real hard more, you know, some days than, than others. Um, but if it's to the point where you're thinking, I need, I need to drop them off at a hospital, I mean, there might be some safety concerns. So the idea behind it is, it made a lot of sense. You know, I think the the legislature, the legislation 
wanted to address a, a critical need that we had in our state. Clearly, there was a need to, to have that. Um, and I think the idea was it would just be younger kids. And so maybe, you know, after a few years after birth, a few days after birth, a few weeks after birth, you know, you might be thinking, no, I, I just can't handle this. I need to find a, a safer home. But what they found is they actually had more and more older kids being dropped off. So then you yeah. have like 16, 17 year olds. I mean, you're not an adult until 19 in Nebraska. Uh, and, and so if you think about it, like if, if a baby's dropped off, then you start working with the system to get them placed and find a safe home for them. But if you drop off a 16, 17 year old, I mean, that 16, 17 year old is probably going through some pretty incredibly tough things. Uh, and so then not only that, then you're trying to find a placement for that kiddo. And it's, it's just kind of a, a tough situation all the way around. So what we had is we actually had the founders of Beacon that um, they said, well, that's what behavioral health is. We have this whole aspect of behavioral health where we work with parents and families and caregivers um, on the behavioral health needs of their kiddos. If there's some behavioral health issues, we're trained to do that. We're trained to work with parents to um, identify behaviors, targeted behaviors that need addressed and how we can work together and support them to, you know, to work with them before they get to that point, that breaking point of I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so they said, so let's let's establish a behavioral health education center in Nebraska. And our mission will be to recruit and retain behavioral health professionals. And these will be the professionals that, of course, address all areas of mental health, but especially, you know, we're mindful of those in the early days that behavioral health, um, the behavioral aspect of kiddos, um, you know, working to, to modify behaviors, working with like timeout strategies, working with um, kiddos that are defiant and, and, you know, not listening and not behaving. Um, so that's where it came from as far as Beacon goes. Um, and it, so it's been kind of fascinating to see what it's evolved from then. So oh, since yeah. then it's evolved now, we're partnering. Um, we have all of the behavioral health professional um, education programs on board with Beacon and they meet together through what's called NEBHED, the Nebraska Behavioral there's so many acronyms. Yeah, there. Nebraska <laughs> Behavioral Health Educational Partnership. And so we meet with, so I'm, I'm part of that as well too, in addition to Beacon Panhandle. And so we meet with people in Kearney and Doan and Creighton. And so anywhere from that psychiatry program that trains medical doctors to prescribe medication, to physician assistants, to psychiatric nurse practitioners. Then we have, of course, shattering counselors, substance use counselors. Um, there's a lot of different behavioral health people in our state that are all working together, which is really great that we're, oh, yeah, yeah, we're taking so this and communication. moving forward. Yeah. So Beacon Panhandle was brought on is because we recognize the beacon folks also recognize that the needs of the panhandle are just so much different than what we have of course like say in omaha and whatnot and so we are very mindful of being remote being rural uh and seeing what our needs are specifically out here so so yeah. there's a lot ooh, there's a lot of neat things that we get to do um in the fall we usually have a webinar series we just started it last year we're going to continue it this year and it's focused just on rural behavioral health so we're bringing in experts from our area because they know they know how to provide behavioral health services in a rural area best because they're working in a rural area. Um, and we allow them, we, we give them different topics to talk on and um, talk about how, like last year, it was all about how you could start a behavioral health practice in a rural area. Because that's different. Like in Omaha, Lincoln, our students could just go to an agency. They have a job. It's a real smooth transition. But if you're in like Arthur, Nebraska, I mean, you're in a town of, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred. I don't even think yeah, it's a couple hundred. Yeah. What do you do? There's not like an agency you can just start working for. So you really have to not only have the, the behavioral health training, like how to be a counselor. You also need to know the business sense of right. starting up a practice and whatnot. So, 
So we have that. We have um, we brought conferences out to the Panhandle. That was really exciting before the pandemic hit because we were actually we had one here at Chardon State. We had right. one at WNCC. Well, now we'll have one. I hope next year if if we can meet in a face to face setting um, in Alliance. And that's just so great because instead of always having to travel to the eastern side of the state to you know for like the important meetings or the big conferences, things of that nature, we bring folks here. And right. so. Instead of having the whole conference travel, we're able to actually just have our few, few speakers travel out here and actually meet with our folks out here. So, That's and then great. it's very specific. So instead of going to a conference and saying, you know, here's this, here's this best practice, how to work with, um, I don't know, whatever we do as counselors, here to work with like this specific situation. What, what we often have to do is say, okay, that's really great. And it works really well, like in a larger city where we have access to resources, but here in the panhandle, we maybe don't, we have a lot more distance between resources. We don't have as many resources. So so we're actually able to um, prep the presenters to say, okay, we're working out here in rural Nebraska. Be mindful of that. How can we actually make this work out here in rural Nebraska without the resources that maybe, say, the larger cities have? So it's been really great and very specific to this part of, of the country. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it kind of um, part of our next question, you know, asking about your interest in rural mental health and how that began, but... Um, Rural folks are are they receptive generally to um, you know getting help if they need it? Ooh, um, I think Might so. Be a loaded question. No, <laughs> I think so, and it's been kind of interesting. Um, are they receptive? Absolutely, I think so. I, but it looks different. So you know, I think I remember back when I was being trained and reading the textbooks, and um, there's certain things we do as counselors. So we have to build rapport. We have to build that connection. So we can't just start. Day, you know, the first, well, we always have to know why they're there and, and what the presenting problems are. Um, but in order for clients to really be truthful and tell us what's really going on, we're, we're not talking about usually great things that we're excited to talk about in counseling. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so we have to have our, our clients that are willing to share with us some of their, like I said, their deep, dark secrets. Um, and anyway, so it looks really different. Um, in a larger city, I think, and that's how the textbooks are written, like in a larger city, our clients don't want, we have to honor confidentiality. We always, we even have to here, of course, right. but we have to honor confidentiality. You want to go to a counselor and not, not have them know anything about you. You don't want to have them know anything about, um, you don't want to know anything about them, vice versa. In a rural setting, we can't just not know about one another. And, and so it's kind of interesting because the textbooks are like, yes, honor, you know, we, do, we want to maintain those dual relationships. We don't want to have dual relationships. But here in rural Nebraska, it's not only do we have dual relationships, we have multiple relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's like, hard to go to a counselor without knowing something about them or being connected in some way. I mean, I, exactly. Store. I was just thinking <laughs> the simple thing you see is, you know, we all shop at Walmart or something at one point or another in a given week. And I mean, yeah, you see your counselor there, different, different uh, yeah. situation. Yeah. I know. It's so fun. So I talked to providers across the state and uh, there was a counselor in Kearney that said, oh, that was so weird. I saw a client. I saw my first client because it's always it's always when are you going to see your first client out and about? And she's like, I saw my first client at Walmart. And uh, the rest of us out here just had to laugh. And we thought it's not a matter of if we're going to see a client, it's how many clients are we going to see? I live next door to mine. (laughs) And so so everyone's different and every every counselor kind of handles it differently. But every every person's different. So a lot of times. Uh, they want to have that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like that. I'm from this area. I want to know how that connection is built. Like if I get to know someone who just moved here, I'm yeah. usually looking to build a connection with them mm-hmm. or, or find out like, oh, we have our grandparents or, you know, whatever it might be. I'm always looking for that connection. So out here, I think we kind of expect those dear relationships. We want to know, okay, we obviously know each other. Let's know how we know each other. And then we have that trust built. Um, but yeah, I think as a general rule, I'm always 
it's, it's so interesting to see, um, cause I do some, some private practice on the side as well too. So it's so interesting to see clients that come to counseling. It's, you know, obviously mental health doesn't discriminate against anything, anyone and everyone, um, can have a need to meet with a counselor about whatnot. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone, anyone that needs it comes. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think there's this, it's well noted in research that there's a stigma for going to counselors in a rural area, but I think we're making some pretty big steps to minimize that. I think we're having some really good public awareness campaigns about, um, consumers that have received counseling services. And, and that's a huge, a huge, um, step in the right direction. If, if I learn that one of my good friends went to a counselor, I, I'm more receptive to go to a counselor myself. Yeah. So I think that's a huge step. And that's what happens in rural, rural America. I mean, if, if, uh, it's really word of mouth. So if they're trustworthy because your, your farmer down the road went to them as well too, and things worked out well, then you're going to continue seeing them. So, right. so I think they're receptive and I think especially now people are becoming more and more receptive and maybe because of telehealth. Now we can actually get to a counselor because yeah. we don't have to drive on the dirt roads for two hours and yeah. Sure. So we're coming more and more. We're making some pretty big movements, which is exciting. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, Tara, kind of switching gears a little bit, um, going to some of your other interests, but most may not know that you're an avid runner. Um, where have you all competed? I, I think you said you've run four or five half marathons, maybe? I have. Uh, not a year. I think avid runner might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> a runner. <laughs> okay. A runner. No, because if you would ask, again, going back to high school, if you would ask me in high school if, if I'm an avid runner, I would have said absolutely, because in high school, I, uh, yeah, there was no way I'd run a mile. I wouldn't run like a half mile unless I, I don't know, had an angry bull going after me and I had to run and get away from it. Um, and that probably wouldn't have went fared very well for that one. Uh, so, so, so the question, so yeah, so I do run for a little bit. Um, I have been running for a little bit. I think it started, when did I start? Probably my master. I, yeah, it wasn't my master's program back here when I got to Shadron. Um, probably because Lincoln's just too humid for me. To uh, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, it's horrible, you. isn't it? It's bad. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So my first one, the first marathon or half marathon, not marathon. I would never do that. I just don't have the time for a full marathon. Too far. <laughs> no, too far. That's, you know, that's just too much. You know, the first person who ran it died. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, so that's a good goes. start. Yeah. And then, hey, let's keep running this. <laughs> so there's a good warning. I'm going to take heed to that warning. Just the half for me. We'll see. Just, yeah. Um, I don't remember where it was. I think, I can't, but I've ran in, in um, Las Vegas. That was fun. It was on a Saturday, Sunday. And so, um, we, yeah, we were in Vegas for the weekend. And then the very last night, we we're running the half marathon. So at nighttime? Uh, so that, yeah, at nighttime. And so that you can see good. the strip. Yeah. So thank goodness you had people lying the strip and they're like, yeah. And they're like cheering you on because I was just exhausted at that point in time. I'd been walking around and seeing the sights. And oh, yeah. There's oh, you no so much need. There. Yeah, yeah. There's no need to finish a weekend in Vegas on 13.1 miles. But, uh, <laughs> but we made it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember running because I went with a, one of my girlfriends too. And uh, I distinctly remember someone saying, oh, walkers are runners too. And there's still runners in our books because there was a couple of times that we just had to walk. We're like, no, this is not happening. We're not running right now. But uh, no, uh, the ones that I've done though, I've, uh, it's not a half marathon, but the run for the hills that the Northwest Trails mm -hmm. Association puts on in, in Hyper. Um, man, that was, I think that might be the hardest race I've ever done though. That thing is brutal. Um, and and sorry, I've done that twice now. So the first year I remember finishing it and I thought, I thought I was in shape. I thought I could run because I'd been running you know, all the time before that. And I, I just couldn't manage those hills. They were horrible. And so then I signed up the next, next two years after that, because 2020 happened and nothing, no one did anything in 2020, but yeah. So then 2021 happened. So I just ran it in June, I think is when they had it. And, uh, and I, I knew it, I knew it was going to be hills. So I prepped on hills. I, not only that, I was ha prepping for a half marathon too. So I thought I'm really going to be okay. I can manage the hills. 
No, uh-uh, no. Darn. I think I got up like a quarter of the first hill, and I was like, nope, this, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> like, I'm not running up this hill, so I'm walking up the hill. So, But it was kind of fun because after I finished, and, uh, I, and I, I finished, and I thought, man, I thought I would do better. But it was just too hot and too hilly. Um, I remember there was a couple folks behind me. And it was just kind of fun scene because it was the first time they had ran that race. So I knew what to do. Like, I knew how to prepare for it. I knew, like, the very end you have just, well, kind of halfway through, you have these, like, monster hills. Um, but the folks behind me had not ran it before. And they're like, that was rough. That was brutal. So we might need to rename that that race. But, um, no, I ran, oh, the Deadwood Marathon, uh, half marathon. That was fun. That's all pretty much all downhill. Um, not good. really. The first the first three miles are actually, I think six miles are actually kind of a very slow increase. Um but yeah, compared to the run for the hills, yeah, it was on the, okay. On the yeah. Mickelson Trail there, it, yeah. it's a, that's a lovely finish there in the Deadwood. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. The last six miles, it's like all downhill. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's nice to ride on your bike, too. You don't really have to pedal. <laughs> yeah, see, that would <laughs> that be good. good. Yeah, yeah. Probably get further on a bike, too, than you do running. So there was a couple of people going, the, when we were running the Mickelson, there was a couple of people going up the hill as we were running down the hill, the, like the last bit. And I just thought, oh, my golly, they probably started at Deadwood. And you could tell they're like... Oh, we need to get to the top of this hill because it is. It's a straight downhill shot the last mm-hmm. six miles. It's yeah, it's great going that way, but those poor bikers going up the hill. <laughs> yeah, that adds up after a yeah, while. Yeah, they looked like they were in shape though. They were doing well on it. Oh, so, good. Yeah, but no, I started running because um, we have to do self care as counseling because you know, um, especially back when I was practicing full time, it would just be a full day of hearing. You know, not, I mean, sometimes, you know, there's always ups and downs in life, but, mm-hmm. but it would just be hearing a lot of that vicarious trauma. So you're hearing, you know, some kind of bump, you know, things that aren't the greatest happening. And, uh, yeah, running was the one thing that I got as far as self-care went, because when I'm running, like, I can't think about my clients. Like I got to think about myself to, I got to right, breathe. Right. I got to, yeah, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of room for me to think about anything else. It's just a great, like, let it all out. That's well, so, important yeah. to do. Yeah. That's, you know, that's if, it, whenever I can get outdoors and hike around the parks, that's, it's just a good feeling to get out in that fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just hiked up Sea Hill the other day, too. So just, yeah. yeah you know, that used to feeling. be one of the questions we'd ask at the uh, end. How many times would you say you've been up Sea Hill? Me? Oh, I can't even count at this point. Yeah, no, way too many. So yes, you, you've got a few extra years of it growing up here. Yeah. I did. Yeah. In fact, we were, I was just up on Sea Hill with uh, um, Dr. Helmbreck. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, I know her. I, I heard you might hear Um I don't know if she told you, but yeah, we. Uh, I, I don't know why I thought I knew what I was doing. I'm like, oh, let's let's go on this path. And I think it was more like a game trail. But it looked like it maybe was a hiking trail. No, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't a trail. And so suddenly I just randomly asked. I was like, oh, we're kind of off the path here. What's, what's those, Poison Ivy look like? Deer. And she's like, hey, it looks like this that we're standing in right now. And I'm like, oh, okay. Nice. Well, <laughs> let's back up here. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, too many times. But it's a, it's a good feeling to get up there. So. Yeah, it is. Um, any other interests outside of work that you like to share? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things I do. I have a, a two and a four-year-old. And I imagine so, that's the big thing. Yeah, yeah. Any any extra minute I can spend with them, I'm going to spend with them. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I don't think, I mean, we read a lot of doc, Dr. Seuss books. I don't think that's an interest of mine, but definitely have made, made a go practice. at it lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I like to play pool. Um, I like to, you know, cribbage, pitch, things of that nature. Sure. So yeah, those are kind of the big interests. When I have time away from the kids, which, yeah, doesn't happen very often. Come by the office sometime. We'll play a game of cribbage. I have a board over there. Oh, what about pitch? Do you guys play pitch? You know, I I never learned it. And every time I tried to learn the rules, I just got so frustrated. I don't don't know why, but yeah, I've never learned. I know. I think you. Yeah, I know how to play. um, My family plays um, four or five point pitch all the time, mainly five point. Um, But certainly, no, I played a lot of 10 point in college. 
And then people always wanted me to play 13 point, but I don't like 13 it's point. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my sister, her family plays 13 point. And so it's always Thanksgiving. We always get together and play pitch. And she's like, let's play 13 point. I'm like, no, no. Yeah, I don't that understand. off three is not yeah. needed in the game of 10 point. So in pitch, you, you have the off jack is a point. And then, but in 10 point, but then um, in 13 point, the off three, so whatever's um, card is this, is Trump. So a heart spade or whatever. Um, they have that off three, and it's just impossible. I can't. And it's worth three points. Back so my a, brain it's a into, whole oh, nother, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole nother. Not a fan. Yeah. It's just an entirely different game, yeah. really, in my eyes. I don't know. I haven't played it much, though. But so five point's like, fun. See, and I've never done that. I don't think I've ever played five point. Oh, Can you do that with two people? Is that? Uh, you could. Um, it's high-low jack-joker game. So a lot of times mm. you don't always have five points out. And in five point, the tens, every 10 counts 10 points towards the game total. Oh, so there's a lot yeah. of counting involved. It's, yeah. I'm pretty sure my uncles cheat when they play it. So I, <laughs> yeah. I rarely win. I kind of know why you have like why you wouldn't have started. Because it's very complicated. Like if you have six people in 10 point versus it's, five people right. versus four people. Got to do a lot, and math. then then you have different like points. Yeah, there's a lot of different variations of pitch, and so you know, I yeah. think given that, um, and and I remember college kids. Um, I assume they still do, at least to some extent. You know, because when I was going to college, it was everybody was playing pitch, mm-hmm. and we need to have like the CSC pitch tournament. Get that oh, going, yeah. faculty and staff, it used and to everybody, be a pitch club. And, and students. Yeah. Well, so all, all the viewers out there, yeah, yeah somebody needs to get on that. <laughs> I'm not going to play, but it'll be. I'm no. A lot of people seem to like they'll have fun. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> yeah. if students play cards as much. Right? Maybe that's a I question. Hope so you should ask your CSC live workers. You I play will. cards? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Tara, we're at the the section of our podcast where we have five questions. Just first thing that comes to your head. So, yeah. Um, first, first one. A favorite book of yours? Pride and Prejudice, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I, anything Classic. from Prejudice. Yeah, yeah. I read it with in high the, or school. Or without I, zombies. Without. I've never read the zombie ones. I had one person that read zombies, and I just, I couldn't do it. I I, I can't do it. It just completely ruined it for me. But if, so, I hear it's a good book. I just, I won't do it. So it's a traditionalist. Yeah, Abe very Lincoln, much so. The Abe Lincoln yeah. Vampire Hunter. I have read that one. It's actually pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I haven't it's read stupid, that It's stupid, but it's fun. very stupid, yeah, but it's no, fun. No, And it's better than the movie. I'm just going to put yeah, that out. Yeah, that's terrible. Uh, what is a hidden talent of yours? Yeah, I'm gonna say pass. <laughs> Can I pass? <laughs> I don't know. I so so I knew these questions were coming. I don't know if I have a hidden talent. Um, I, I think I'm a pretty yet, open then. person. Yeah, I mean, if I have it, it's hidden to me. So uh, all right. Yeah, well, I don't you let know. us know if you find it then. Yeah. Okay. I'll Good let you luck, know. <laughs> uh, Tara. What's the best advice you received as a college student? Um, probably to wear flip flops in the shower. That's probably probably the most important thing <laughs> you can important. do, and yeah. I'm gonna share that. Like wear flip important. flops. No, I think. Um, I mean, other than that, other than that, very important piece of advice. Just living it up. Of just, course, at UNL, yeah. not at CSC. No, either. not at CSC. <laughs> Our showers are pristine. We're <laughs> much more. Yeah, yeah, better hygiene here. Um, no, I'd say uh, just live it up. Live college up. My nephew just went. Just started. Um, at, uh, up at SDSU, and I told him I was like, he's so excited to get out and get finished and like he only he took classes in high school and, and he's like I'm gonna finish in two years and I thought no like you have some fun like, go yeah. four years so back when I started college everyone was trying to get done in four years because it was usually taking a little bit longer than that and now he's like yeah I'll be done in two years but he's gonna be on like a nursing path after that and I just told him I was like just slow down live it up yeah just make the most of it this is the last time in your life that I mean what's I don't know for me next it was kids and responsibilities <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, there's responsibilities in college, but not as many. So, sure. yeah, just make the most of it. Yeah. Let's see here. What's your favorite thing to do in the fall? 
I imagine it involves running on the Mickelson Trail. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was in the spring. I only like to run in the spring and fall. I okay. don't like it in the wintertime. Too icy and in the summertime, it's too yeah. hot. But um, no, football's football kind of takes over my fall there completely. Yeah, every Saturday we're busy. So yeah, that's the fall. Great. Yeah. Okay, Tara, last one. What's the word that comes to your head when you think of Shattered State? Home. Yeah, which is funny that I say that because this was the one place I thought I would never... I'd never end up. And uh, I realized karma, yeah, life has a way of working. If you say never, never, you're going to be there. But it's absolutely home with so many people, not just, I mean, I've got so many people in my family that have a degree from here and um, just being from the area. This is, this is it. And we're lucky. This is a really cool campus. I've mm-hmm. worked at, you know, been, I've been a, a student and a, I've worked at different campuses and we just, we really have a gem out here. Oh, yeah. Really, like, not only is it not humid, um, but we've got the state parks, we have Sea Hill. I, I just can't think of another campus in Nebraska that has anything like what we have here. So yeah. we're very lucky to be it here, is. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tara. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was this was fun. <laughs> you bet.